Welcome to the Legendary Upside Podcast. My name is Pat Corain. Today, I'm joined by Davis Maddock and Jacob Sanderson for a Dynasty Mailbag Podcast. Guys, how's it going? Beautiful day. Beautiful day to be alive. Can't wait to can't wait to just give some incredible Deuce Vaughn takes here on the program. <laughs> I don't think we got any Deuce Vaughn questions, but we will talk about them. I've, that's my uh, that's my promise as the host of this pod. You can't have Davis Maddock on and not talk about Deuce Vaughn after his dad. His dad drafted him. I mean, what a what a delightful story. <laughs> yeah, Depo baby Deuce Vaughn. Oh, come on. No, we can't. Don't don't spin it like that. Do you that. think that's 100% true, right? Like Deuce Vaughn, Deuce Vaughn Yo, probably sure. goes undrafted unless his dad is a member of the Dallas Cowboys staff. <laughs> I this think we can see that under a, under, with a 95% confidence interval. We can make that assertion. Yeah, he for sure yeah. goes undrafted. Even, even, as his not... biggest, even as his biggest fan, I feel comfortable admitting that. But guess what? <laughs> Life isn't fair, and sometimes all you need is a guy in your corner, Pat. That's right. That's right. I'm glad to have you guys in my corner here. You guys are both top-notch dynasty minds. Jacob is, like, kind of taking my corner. I used to be, like, the real dynasty sicko, you know, in, like, way too many dynasty leagues. And <laughs> Jacob's already done, like, more rookie drafts than I'm in leagues. I, I'm currently in – I think I'm currently in eight rookie drafts right now, <laughs> um, which is uh, – and there's plenty more to come. <laughs> so, I, yeah, it's uh, yeah. we're grinding right now. I, uh, I, I'll i be probably on the clock uh, upwards of a dozen times over the course of this episode. So I'll just have to keep tabs anytime we get somebody else on a rant. That's perfect. That's perfect, yeah. Um, my dynasty rankings are up on legendaryupside.com. You can check those out. They're for uh, Superflex, tight end premium, but I think you know pretty easy to adjust things mentally for your one-quarterback leagues. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, someone asked about the tight ends uh, in, in one quarterback leagues. We'll talk about you know how some of that shifts around. But um, yeah, you guys want to dive in? The the first question here from Bolick, uh, he was saying, in what scenarios? And, and Jacob, I'll kind of tee you up here because you you mentioned this on ship chasing uh, regarding the one hundred and one. In what scenarios should Anthony Richardson be the one hundred and one over Bijan in Superflex? I don't really think in any scenario, unfortunately, which which hurts me to say. I love Anthony Richardson, but I, I just think I think sometimes people look at it too too closely, where they're like, "I really need a quarterback. I value the ceiling more of Anthony Richardson. I'm just going to take him." Right, and then sort of the next level to that is usually I'd say, "Well, you should try and trade Bijan for one of the other quarterbacks who has a similar ceiling as Anthony Richardson, who's valued around Bijan." And a lot of times the answer is, "Well, I can't." Right, and I've had a reasonable degree of success in liquidating some 101s for quarterbacks where I want to. But I think even if you can't before the draft, you still get all the rest of the summer. You get all through next offseason. You get all through the season. Like, B. John Robinson is just such a safe asset. I think you take him. I think you enjoy the production. I think you look for quarterback elsewhere, either using him or other pieces on your roster. So I think from... I think you're just hemorrhaging value right away if you take Anthony Richardson over Bijan Robinson um, without at least getting something to trade back into the 102 and take him. I just think it's – you could do it, I and I could see it working out. I could see it being one of those things where it's like I did this really ballsy thing and took Anthony Richardson 101, and I have AFC Jalen Hurts for the next four years. But – 80% of the probabilities probably have Bijan holding value better, contributing more points added relative to other available running backs. Like I, I compare Bijan a lot to Saquon and Saquon has been injured, had seasons where he played and wasn't very good. 
and basically held his trade value the entire time. Like I'm in a league where Bijan just got traded today for a 2020 or where Barkley got traded for a 2024 first and a, a second this year, I think like, and he's not even that good anymore. You know, like he played the whole season last year and was good, but he wasn't CMC or anything like that. It's just, there just sort of is like a, a mimetic quality about Bijan that it's going to have him hold value for a long time. You probably have a reasonable chance of flipping Barkley with not that much added into Jameer Gibbs today, for example, who just got drafted yes. both overall, right? And like you could yep. have had an, all of Saquon Barkley's rookie contract and then reload up with a 21-year-old version um, today. So I think that I'll even say Bijan might be underrated. Like I've had some conversations with people about saying he's value capped where he is. People forget that Jonathan Taylor was interchangeably valued with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase this time last year. Like, I don't think that there's any rule that a running back can't hold the same value as those elite wide receivers. No, in fact, they're, they're usually valued higher. Out. Exactly. Like if B. John Robinson comes out and is a top five level redraft pick this year, which I think is like borderline the base case scenario for him, then he's probably going to be valued entirely on par with Jefferson and Chase. And like you do not have trouble turning Jefferson and Chase into – quarterbacks seven through 10 plus in most scenarios. The other thing that I'll, I'll say is that I do think there's a seasonal aspect to dynasty that if you, if you're newer to dynasty, even if you're in like your second or third year in dynasty, it's probably hasn't like fully clicked just like how the psychological component of this really has a major impact where right now everyone is building sexy rosters. It's like, I'm I'm not an idiot. I'm not taking on some veteran who's not going to do anything for me long term. But that flips hard in August and and heading into early September. Or, or like week three when you're like, I don't have a fourth wide receiver to start this week because I'm just running bad on injuries or I got yeah. a guy suspended right. randomly or whatever. Like I need Tyler Lockett's points so bad, and I wouldn't give up the 208 for him this yeah. offseason. Exactly. Like you come around with like if it's like. Like you have Cedric Tillman who hasn't like played, you know, like right now, like you could probably take Cedric Tillman and be like, Tyler Lockett, what do you say? <laughs> like, I bet I bet you could trade the two. I bet you I bet you could get Tyler Lockett for the 206 right now. I traded the 206 for Mike Williams today. Um, yeah. I'm in a spot where like I, I was just I needed like a wide receiver spot. I didn't really like anybody there added them. And that was like in, in like a really deep league, right? Like we're starting like 11. That's super sharp. Where, like you get a Mike Williams, like he's gonna score points somewhere. The two of six might might never score points. Like so, most likely will never score points. I greedily drafted Deami Brown in the two of six. Like you guys are fools right. for letting me get him in the two of six. You you don't. Yeah, uh, I think as it relates to Bijan, this the point is that in August, I think his value will have increased from where it is now. Before he even plays an NFL down, I think there will be a increase in his value because as a community the market you know you know a market uh based game things will shift when we start thinking about our teams more like redraft teams which always happens people don't care who their rb2 is right now they really care who their rb2 is you know when the season's a week away mm -hmm. and and also like you just think about it like they've been draft they've been prepping for their, their redraft stuff. They've been thinking through like who's going to actually score points this this year, you know. So uh, I think that if you're having trouble trading Bijan for a quarterback and you strongly want to move Bijan for a quarterback before the season, 
You should still take Bijan, and you'll get that opportunity later. Yeah, I agree. All right. I agree. All right, let's move to. We should. I should probably have gotten uh, an Anthony Richardson defender on the on the pod. We're too much agreement on it. Uh, <laughs> Amico, Amico, in I was going to say Amico. Yeah, yeah. Had him, had him one, which I I just think is like. So I think the thing with Dynasty is there's more value to be gained disagreeing with the market. The cheaper the price is, like at very expensive rates, you just have to be right such a high percentage of the time to get that value trade off, um, which doesn't make sense. I, think, uh, I like the like, way that way of thinking. It feels like the more we do like best ball tournament content and the more that we get dynasty content out of people who do a lot of redraft content, high stakes redraft content, best ball content, a lot of the like really, really high upside chasing strategies start to seep their way into dynasty. And I become more and more cowardly over time. Like I, I just think <laughs> that with dynasty, like you are in some ways incentivized to avoid terrible outcomes. It's a floor. It's a floor game. Atrophies off your team. Like, and, and I think like there's, there's a point, there's a point in any game where like, you know, you, it's worth always chasing ceilings versus worth chasing floors. But that point hits a lot faster in dynasty than in other formats for sure. I, I think one of the things people fundamentally get wrong about dynasty is that you are managing your floor. You're constantly going, how quickly is the, is how quickly could the bottom fall out on this guy? Because you earlier on when I was playing Dynasty, you'd always hear like, oh, this wide receiver, this 28-year-old wide receiver, he could play another four years. He's he's amazing. He's got another four years of great production. It's like he could, but if he tweaks his if he has a high ankle sprain this year and doesn't do anything, what now I just have to hold him and pray he's gonna he's gonna actually do that. He has no trade value after that. That's a real bummer. I would prefer to reset and always have guys with trade value. So Mm-hmm. Uh, Richardson will have trade value after the year. I feel strongly about that, but I think is one of the things I think people kind of misunderstand about dynasty is that it's pretty important to be managing your floor. And that also means staying young. You know, it's maybe counterintuitive, but if you're young, you have a trade floor usually. Um, all right. So we've talked the one Oh one. Um, let's see. Oh, here we'll go to, we'll go to running back a little bit more. So uh, from Kiv, this is a question for Jacob. How high can we dare to dream on Gibbs? Davis seems skeptical, oh. but please put his undersized frame in a locker. My God, an wow. aggressive question here from Kiv. Yeah, well, I, I think I just digitally met Davis like 10 minutes ago, so I'm probably not going to try to actively <laughs> stop him into a locker. But yeah, I'm, I'm dreaming pretty heavily on Jameer Gibbs. Um, I don't have him over Richardson at the 102. I do have him at the 103, and I have moved him to RB4 in my dynasty rankings. Uh, I've been pretty aggressive on Gibbs throughout the process. I've been aggressive on Gibbs and Debbie. I, I think that he is such a transcendent receiving option that you actually do get a pretty solid floor. Like you think about DeAndre Swift last year where the Lions hated him. He was like clearly had some deficiencies in certain areas, or at least the Lions thought that he did. He was still a viable starter when he was out there. And I think that's Gibbs' absolute floor in terms of what his production is, is being a high-end RB2. That's obviously terrible if you draft that at the 103. Here's the other aspect to it is the dynasty market just loves, loves, loves young running backs. And they're so forgiving of young running backs. You look at even the guys that worked out terribly, either because they suck or because they got injured or both. Carry on Johnson, DeAndre Swift, Miles Sanders, Javante Williams, uh, Josh Jacobs went down and then he comes back up. But all these guys after year one were still really heavily valued. Trent, Trent Richardson was the cover 
of the Sports Illustrated fantasy issue after his rookie year. Like he was the <laughs> guy that, that was going in first round and redraft. Look at even a guy like a Ken Walker and Travis Etienne. They obviously get spiked in the draft, and now they're probably going to be going downhill. But coming off their rookie year, these guys were universally valued at the fringes of the top five in the dynasty running back position. Oh, this guy never caught passes ever? He didn't catch passes as a rookie? I don't know. He'll probably figure it out. Oh, like Travis Etienne was used in a run-only role, and he probably doesn't have a high-volume path to three-down roll? Ah, we'll figure it out. Like if Gibbs is just what we think Gibbs is, people are probably still going to be really into him. And if you have concerns about his profile, I think you can get out of him. And why I'm willing to play that market game is because I actually have legitimate fear of missing out with Gibbs that I didn't with a Kenneth Walker. This is a guy who had a wide receiver level breakout right away when he stepped on at Georgia Tech in terms of his receiving production. A guy who's been targeted at double the FBS average on wheel routes and angle routes. A guy who's an extraordinarily dynamic pass catcher that I think the NFL legitimately treated like he was the best pass catcher in this draft, whether that's rightly or wrongly. So I want to be in on Gibbs. I want to see if I'm getting the entire package. If I am, great. I have a 20-plus point-per-game legendary running back. If I'm not, whatever. I'll probably try and pivot off to somebody else, and I think that I'm going to be able to do that at a reasonable cost. I mean, I'm definitely not that bullish. Like, I feel more bullish about Gibbs from a uh, from like a redraft best ball perspective. Like, I think he's got really good ranges of outcomes. Like, I'm not really that worried about David Montgomery. It just feels like to me, I and I I'm not even gonna quibble with ranking him. Would you say running back four in dynasty or whatever? Like yeah. every fucking running back sucks, dude. Like Jonathan, there were there were people who didn't want to buy Jonathan Taylor a year ago. You know, like there's a reason to hate every running back. It's why Crane has famously never drafted one. People are, and, and I did name I, my site after them, but I never have drafted one. <laughs> I think I, I I actually think that Gibbs is not going to have this sort of like um, you know armor that Bijan does if he gets hurt or if he just goes through like six games of like poor production and Montgomery scoring all the goal line touchdowns. It just it you know he's not. Well, one thing is he's a bit smaller. You know, I would yeah. use 199 at the combine or whatever. And, you know, I mean, Dan Campbell, one freaking junior chicken, man. Like, it would I be know. so much Come more on, dude. On, dude. Like, one more, one more <laughs> protein shake. Get, get to 202 <laughs> just so you can be in the right bucket, man. Come Please. On. <laughs> I don't know. And it also just feels, doesn't it feel like also Detroit being so in flux might end up being a bad thing? Like, who knows who their quarterback is next year? Who knows what what they do with adding wide receivers? Like it just, they're. Uh, I mean, to quote our good friend uh, Chess Liam, you know, they're building a dynasty there in Detroit. And tough, so lots of- tough night for <laughs> Chess Liam. <laughs> they they go inside linebacker and running back. Yeah, I no, I don't, I don't have, and and I think the commenter also is just responding to how much I did not want Kansas City to take Gibbs, which I think would have been a nightmare. Like I, I have no issue with Gibbs the player. No issue with ranking and running back four. I just think, like, honestly, in Dynasty, I kind of prefer to, to buy guys in, like, the running back 12 to 18 range because it's, like, you expect that guy to lose, like, to just go to zero sometimes anyways. But, the yeah. co- like, if you want to get Gibbs right now, like, 103 in a draft or whatever, and Gibbs is, like, this is non-Superflex, obviously, 105 in Superflex or 104, you're, like, so that person's going to make you pay, right? But if you oh, want... Yeah. Da- if you want to get, if you want Damian Pierce right now, the person who took him, it's like found money. Like when they took him, they did right. not foresee yeah. this in the range of outcomes. So they'll be like, 
yeah, sure, whatever, I'll take Jahan Dotson for or just whatever, you know, like it's it's so and it's so much easier to acquire those running back two types, which is just a long way of saying I have no problem with Jacob's opinions. I just don't like buying running backs and I don't like spending premium assets on running backs. I think yeah, that's I, fair. My slight pushback and oh sorry, Pat. You go ahead, go, go ahead, Jacob. Sorry. I this is like gonna get really into the nerdy levels of dynasty stuff, but I don't know if you've ever spent a lot of time looking at dynasty VORP curves and like the value of a replacement uh, over like start 10, start 11 leagues, etc. One of the unique parts of dynasty versus redraft is like the olds become so much more appealing, right? Like in redraft, you're yeah. like, oh man, I have to draft this like wide receiver who has like no legitimate upside in round four. Like you're doing these like dusty, like the Brandon Cook's a great example. Where in best ball last year, I'm like, there is nothing on this earth that could compel me to take a late round four Brandon Cooks on FFPC. But in Dynasty, it's like, oh, I can have Brandon Cooks. He's going to have a 22% target share and give me probably locked in wide receiver two, wide receiver three production, and I can get him for fucking nothing. Like that sounds incredible, right? So because that baseline production is so available that the replacement level starters are so much cheaper, I don't really want to be in the middle where I'm getting these like young players that aren't going to be producing at massively better rates than the veterans who are those replacement level starters. I want to really be taking my bets on the guys who I think have a chance at like the 20 plus point per game legendary upside as some might call it. Um, and gives to me strikes me as that possibility. And, and it may not happen. I don't think it'll happen this year for certain, but I, I want to be taking those shots. So I'm a little bit more enticed to spend all the way up on a Gibbs type versus certain guys like, I don't know, like I'm thinking of guys like Ayukes and Pittmans and Jerry Judys and those kind of like young guys who are going to be producing about the same as the old guys just over a longer period of time. Like I want to get out of those assets in Dynasty. Yeah. I just think those are inefficient stores yeah. of value so that I can take more shots on the Gibbs types. Um, and I, I also just love the Lions spot, right? Like we have, for at least this year, we have Ben Johnson, we have Jared Goff who loves to check it down. He's just so excited to check that ball down to guys. And like they use... Swift, like, I think well last year, as much as fantasy Twitter hated it, like, they gave him really tailored usage when he was out there. He got tons of advanced route He concepts. was just never out there. He was going to get those. Right. And did you see what they did, all those jet sweep packages with Khalif Raymond and Jamison Williams and stuff? Like, I think that's going to Gibbs, at least for the first six weeks while Jamison's out there. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he's getting cat passes, he's getting end arounds. Like, I think they're going to use him pretty creatively. So let me push back on this part of it a little bit. Um, because yeah. I do agree generally that I think he's got the ceiling to make him worth chasing. And I think he's going to have very strong trade value after this year. But I also think it's unlikely, even if he turns out to be a future superstar, um, that he's actually going to deliver that kind of point production as a rookie. You got Dave Montgomery yeah. there. He's going to take enough snaps. We're just going to get flashes this year. And maybe there'll be really good flashes. But I think I mean, and maybe, maybe David Montgomery goes down and he turns and he does like a David Johnson towards the end of the mm -hmm. season thing where he fully breaks out. It wouldn't be exactly like David Johnson. He's much smaller. I'm not saying he's David Johnson. But, you know, you get the thing where you're like, OK, this is what we were hoping for. It's here. And then at that point, it's a runaway train. You're never you're never trading for him. But I think most likely you're getting the flashes. You're going to feel good about Jameer Gibbs after his rookie season. Are you ever actually trading off? Are you ever actually cashing some of those out? Because that's the thing to me with Gibbs is like, I'm probably just riding it out. You just got to ride it out. Yeah. Yeah. And even though we, pretty... put, we we had the chance to trade off, I didn't. 
I didn't. And then he turns out to be a bust and I, and I end up eating it heading into his third year. I'm pretty ruthless. So like, if I don't think I'm getting the full package, I I cut bait pretty quick. Like the big things I'll Mm -hmm. be looking at with Gibbs is like, what type of rushing usage is he getting? And is he being successful on a wide array of rushing usage? Like, is he only being, is he only providing value on outside zone carries and sweeps and tendency breakers out of shotgun or like when they're give, are they ever giving him any inside carries and is he being successful on those carries? Like, I think that's going to be the the signal that I'm looking at from a long-term or if he's just has like 120 targets, then I could honestly give less of a crap if he's ever able to run the ball effectively. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty decent at moving off guys. Like I like Swift was a guy I was like really into going into year two. And then I was like, he kind of rose in value and I thought he was pretty crappy on the ground and good at other aspects. And I went from like 25% exposure to zero, like overnight. So I I'm pretty, I'm pretty comfortable with my ability to get off guys. Like ETN is another example. I was really in on ETN last year. He was my most drafted. He was my most rostered running back at the top 180 people going into last year. I'm pretty much at market today. So I, I don't know. It, it's, it depends on it, how much you trust yourself to be active um, and to move off guys yeah. you like, but I, I tend to be um, pretty discerning. How active are you? How active is your trade market? I think that's because, you know, if you're taking yeah. him over like Bryce Young, Bryce Young's going to start for a long time. So if you don't have right. a very active league and you're the type of guy who's just like, once the guy's on your team, he stays on your team. I, I might go with Bryce Young and just, you know, don't miss to, to right. the floor point you made earlier. Um, speaking of Swift, got a question here from um, Mafajer. With the latest Swift trade in relation and in relation to the running back age question, is this the time to sell Swift in Dynasty or yes. could his value increase yes. from here? Yes. Dave, someone's given you the 107 right now for DeAndre Swift, like break your finger pressing, except there, there's <laughs> going to be a time, there's going to be a time in the next eight months where you're going to be like, just begging to get DeAndre Swift off your roster for whatever reason, right? It could be because he gets hurt. It could be because he's a healthy scratch and Trey Sermon is getting goal line carries for the Eagles. Like, and, and sure DeAndre Swift has lots of good seasons in his range of outcomes. I could see an argument for buying him. If you're a team that wants points this year, or that's really thin at running back or whatever, but just situation neutral, sell him the, 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 uh, the most excitement there's going to be for DeAndre Swift is right now before the Eagles get to training camp and, and being like, oh, Boston Scott's going to be a big part of our plans this year. You know, like it just is what it is. <laughs> yeah, Davis is 100% correct. Like Swift is, is a talented running back. He's good at some things, but like he's he's a really flawed running back that has some fan, that has a lot of fantasy appeal. But like the Eagles are just taking cheap shots on talented, explosive, flawed players. Like, Gainwell's a talented, explosive, flawed player. Penny is a talented, explosive, flawed player. Swift is the same. They don't know what their running back usage is going to be right now. They're going to figure it out. They're going to see who they like across the season. I don't think that they're bringing in Swift as some every down guy. Maybe he emerges as that guy. It's possible. But there, there are so many cheaper options to take bets on flawed, talented running backs and good offenses that won't require a first-round pick. Like Especially Swift people like – the Swift stands are, are, are very defensive right now and, and they're very excited. So like trying their DeAndre Swift at this moment is going to be next to impossible. I, I would be sending him afar. Yeah. So, you know, we, we kind of acted like our lines is dead now, um, which is definitely is on the, the front office side, but I think let's appreciate that we do share something in common with Dan Campbell, which, you know, we're, we're both desperate to get DeAndre Swift <laughs> off of our teams. 
Uh, I, I'm in complete agreement. I think it's time. Take the take the cash out moment. Um, all right. I, our, our, just real quick on that R lines thing. Arif Hassan had a great tweet that I think would really help people recontextualize, which is like if you just don't know which players they took when the Lions, like if you just ignored that they took Gibbs and the linebacker in the first round, and instead they took the safety in the first round or whatever, and Laporta at 18, you could kind of talk yourself into it. You could be like, well, they, you know, they invested in premium positions. They added some difference makers on offense. Like you, but obviously that's not what they did. <laughs> no. Um, so let, one just follow up on Swift here. Cause um, yeah, Chris asked uh, on Deandre Swift, basically what his value should be. So Davis, you mentioned the one Oh seven, but like, what would you be at? What point are you keeping Swift? If you can't get uh, enough back. I mean, it's just all these con all these conversations are so interesting because this rookie class is so weak, or at least it's perceived as being so weak right now. Like in Superflex, you get boosted a little bit because you have the three quarterbacks. So that make but in like an FFPC, like non Superflex, like it just dies after six. Like they're like the 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 cliff from the four wide receivers, Gibbs and Bijan to who who is the consensus uh 107 in consensus 107 in single quarterback consensus 110 in super flex like you could i there i could argue for 10 guys there probably so that makes probably it charbonnet in, in one quarterback please just give me the running back well second well it is a running back but i'll tell you the guy who has gone over charbonnet in almost every single draft i've done is like a shame. imagine a scenario imagine a scenario where the miami dolphins Created a third round pick, perhaps the 84th overall pick for DeAndre Swift. And then you look at Swift and you're like, oh man, this guy, a little undersized and he's pretty explosive, but I don't know if he can handle a full load. Um, and uh, that's the guy that you would take. So I would, I would just rather take uh, David Achebe personally than DeAndre Swift. Uh, that's, I don't know. I think that's where Swift is like in the realm. It's like Charbonnet, hmm. Chain, Miller. I think that's kind of his his zone. We didn't get any questions on, on the chain. We say Ashanae on this podcast because I can't do a chain. It's just not. <laughs> um, but but are we? I where are you at on him versus Charbonnet? Because I think that's kind of an interesting sort of philosophical question almost. I mean, I'm probably the most in. Well, this is this sucks actually. Like I I took Devin a chain, and I think every single pre-draft rookie draft um, that I did in in the off season, and I have like all of my Debbie bags. And I, I will never, I can't draft him again. He's got like the 109 or 110 in every rookie draft that I've done in Superflex, uh, which is concerning. I like him more than Charbonnet. I think that, I think what people sometimes fail to point out, and I understand why, is that unlike the James Cooks um, that we've seen come out in recent years, uh, unlike even a Deuce Vaughn, frankly, unlike even a Jameer Gibbs, Devin Chain was a legitimate every down workhorse this past year in the yeah. SEC at Texas A&M, and he was effective on the ground. He was actually less efficient as a receiver than he was as a runner. He was still used as a receiver, but he was a really dang good runner. And he's when you watch his running style, like I don't think that a lot of the tropes about small running backs apply to him. Like He runs inside. He follows his blockers. He's not bouncing everything. It just kind of comes down to whether the NFL will believe in him as that and give him an opportunity. He got the nut landing spot for it. I think he's actually a more 100%. effective rusher than Zach Charbonnet. I think he's a better receiver than Zach Charbonnet. He got a much better landing spot than Zach Charbonnet. I, I think he has as good of a shot of them letting him run with that backfield as Seattle does. 
Whereas I think Charbonnet is more exciting as a contingent bet, but like, I'm not the biggest Kenneth Walker fan, but I don't think Kenneth Walker's just going to ride the pine. So I, I would take Mr. Achene. I would probably take Swift over Mr. Achene. Mon- well, what about, again, what about Charbonnet? Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I gotta like get in. I gotta do like some transcendental meditation and try and get my head <laughs> into what Pete Carroll is thinking because it just. I I really like Kenneth Walker. I think he's so good. Like I don't give a shit about the success rate. All I care about is him hitting eight home runs a year. You know where it seems like it's yeah. dead, and all of a sudden he's got a seventy yard touchdown. Like I bet Barry Sanders had a shit success rate. Honestly. I, I bet probably. he did. I, I probably bet he pretty had a good fun... elusive rating on Barry. Yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> but pretty good but I just like, what is Pete Carroll doing, dude? Is it just like, I don't know, I don't know, man. I, I think what it is is like he he just values the running back position so much. That's that what he we just Ken decided. Walker, and he's like Ken Walker is like he. He just he needs every part of his running back room to be covered. And like he needs it to be covered where like not only do they have high level across the board, but if somebody gets hurt, he has somebody else ready to go. Like he just thinks running back is so important. And he's like, yeah, drafting a running back round two who's gonna be in on third downs and take 30% of the early down carries is a totally reasonable use of a second round pick. And Ken Walker being used as a glorified explosive playback like he's Miles Sanders is also an entirely reasonable use of a second round pick like I just don't think that he understands yeah. that he could have drafted Kenny McIntosh only and gotten probably 80% out of what he's going to get to the Zach Charbonnet this year I, well, I think you're right I think it's just that he loves running backs it's just he's and he's like I gotta have my guys like I gotta have I gotta have four dudes who can just do it when called upon but we've seen this before and I I would just you know they and in Seattle, they do seem to kind of uh, maybe it's not pure meritocracy, but they they're looking for things on the practice field clearly because yeah. that's how you get Chris Carson playing ahead of first round pick Rashad Penny. Obviously, injuries as well, but we've had like we've had guys CJ Procise never really got that big of a chance there. Yeah. It's like the draft capital that they spent on. Kenneth Walker, and you could make the case against Charbonnet, it might not ultimately mean much because right. Walker just could outplay him. But I do think that there are scenarios where they're just like, you know what? Those eight home runs a year are nice, but we liked how this guy's doing everything the way we ask him to do it all the time. And I, I we've seen, I mean, Penny is so talented. They never really, they just like never really played him. I agree. I- I'm like I'm probably one of the lower people on Walker out there, but I still think he's just better at Charbonnet, or better than Charbonnet at a lot of things. Like I just can't imagine them ever being like we're never putting this guy on the field. Like he's clearly really talented. I I don't know. I I just don't buy it. I, I really think like remember the game that they had against Carolina last year after Penny got hurt and then Walker got hurt. Gino threw like three interceptions. They were trotting out Travis Homer. They couldn't run the ball at all. I just think Pete like was stewing on the team boss that night. He was like, never again, never again will I allow like my team to start Travis Homer at running back. Like we will draft so many running backs that no matter how many of them get hurt, like we will be able to establish it. I I don't know. I think that game wounded him. So what I, but I, I agree. I mean, I, I take your point that, um, you know, what I'm suggesting that maybe Charbonnet is like the takes over as the lead back 
is thin. And I think even in that case, it would not be like he's dominating snaps. You'd be it'd be like the one A, one B situation. Walker's not going away. He's too good. Um, he does what he does very well. He has other flaws that are pretty big flaws, but uh, but yeah, I think when you compare him to A Chain, it's like, well, all right, we're talking about basically two committee backs, probably. And while I think A Chain will have uh, a more consistent value to your roster, I do think that when Charbonnet is clearly supposed to be in your lineup, because maybe Walker tweaked his ankle or whatever as a hamstring thing, yeah. you're going to be psyched to start Charbonnet. And I don't know that you're ever going to be that psyched to start A Chain unless he's an absolute star, which is definitely possible. But I think that's my thing. Like, I don't have a whole ton of confidence that a team will ever be like, Devin A Chain, we're giving you 17 carries a game and four targets. Do what you can. But I do think if a team did, he would really crush it. I, I just think he's so good. Like, I'm so in love with him as a talent um, that I, I think. I don't think it'll happen on purpose. Like, I think it's going to need to be a thing where, like, he starts off, he's getting eight carries a game. He's averaging It might happen on purpose with Mike McDaniel. He literally said That's he was the in thing. love with Devin A. Chain. This was the spot. Like, I think he loves him as much as I do. That's the thing. I do. Like, I, I, do I just, like, when I watch, when I watch A. Chain, I was like, this is my favorite player. Like, I'm trading for him on all of my Debbie squads. I can't wait to roster him. Like, I've been calling him College Station Tony Pollard for three years. Like, I, and, like, he goes to Miami. I think McDaniel loves him. I just see a scenario where he's so good. And then, you know, Wilson gets hurt or Mostert gets hurt. So there's a couple of games where it's like, we don't have anybody else. So Devin Chain has to take 15 carries and he turns 15 carries into 105 yards and two touchdowns. And then it's like, well, let's just see if he can do this. I don't know. I, I just, this is like the one team where I think it's kind of in play that he could just be a workhorse. Like I, this, this is the one spot for me where I can see it. And I don't know. I'm excited about it. And I guess to me, it's like, for Charbonnet to be a workhorse, I think he probably needs Walker to get hurt. For A-Chain to be a workhorse, I think he probably needs his coach to let him have a chance. Is kind of where it comes down to me. And, and yeah. I guess I just yeah. would rather bet on like, happening naturally. It's like not like a philosophical thing from him, though. Like Mike McDaniel probably is unlikely to ever have a workhorse. But I don't think you need him to be a workhorse. Sure I think you need him to get to 60, right. 55 to 60. And now we're like McDaniel's, yeah. like McDaniel's mentor was having Elijah Mitchell close games over Christian McCaffrey, who he traded a second round pick for. Like, it's just, it's could, just like, in don't talk anymore. Could have, could A-Chain have 2022 Tony Pollard's role? Within yeah, Hunter, that, that is, I think Pollard is actually like a perfect comparison where they were even, what, what did the, the now fired running back coach of the Dallas Cowboys was like, yeah, we don't want to give him that much work. Yes. So we're playing yeah, Floyd Davis or what? Yeah. But yeah. it didn't even matter because Pollard is so good. So I, I actually. Pollard I is made... 209 though, by the way. He's got yeah. over 20 pounds on Devin. I just, he plays big, man. I, I know this is like the most vibes based take. I, I, I get it. Like I, I understand it. What was, what was Chris Johnson? Was he 191? I forget. Um, I, I think he was in the one nine. I don't know, man. I just I've never seen a player at a chain size who plays the way that he does. I he plays like he's and he's compact and he's fast and he's fearless and he cuts it inside. I I don't think he's gonna get three hundred carries, but like this man took forty one carries in a double overtime SEC wow. game against LSU, and he rushed for two hundred and twenty five yards and he was dominant throughout the game on 41 carries in a game against an SEC defense. Like, I, I just don't believe 
that if he was given volume, he would just wilt. That's pretty like, compelling. So I'm good. not going to lie. That's like I might uh, move him up in my dynasty ranks. I'm so like per, I'm so persuaded by good vibes based analysis. Like some people are bad <laughs> at vibes based analysis, but if the vibes based analysis is good, just sell me. Like I that I was just, a vibe. That yeah. was really a vibe. I think I just went from being out on Ashane to in on Ashane. I, I think I did too. I think I'm in. I was already in for redraft. For best ball, I you know for best ball it feels like a better oh, in best ball running back, but I think I'm literally my best know, my, dynasty my right best ball eight chain banks are are like I I'll be paying Vancouver rent for the next several years on my Skolanski box from big board Devin the chain shares. That's my that's my hope. <laughs> um, all right, well let's uh, actually this is kind of a good segue here because someone was asking about the tight ends and and where to. Um, kind of deal with this tight end cluster. Um, where are you guys kind of putting this? And I have Kincaid, Mayer, and Laporta all grouped together in my Superflex ranks. They're kind of this like, you know, like shifting block. And it's like the question really is where do you put that block? Do you put it um, mm. behind, you know, the? I think you obviously put it behind the, the top four wide receivers, but like I have Marvin Mims currently sneaking up in there just because I like Marvin Mims a lot. Uh, you've yeah. got Will Levis that you got to deal with. You've got uh, Devin A. Chain and, and Zach Charbonnet. That's such a good way so, of putting it. Will Levis that you have got to deal with. <laughs> you got to deal with him. <laughs> <laughs> He's like so an obstacle. <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, where would you put? And I'm curious as well uh, with with A. Chain because it sounds like maybe he's all of our running back three now. <laughs> I mean, I want these tight ends more than I want Charbonnet or yeah. a chain or mm -hmm. Levis. Like, it's like maybe I'll take them just or just because it works out that way. And I don't, I, you know, I don't want to dis, I don't want to be that divorced from the market. But Laporta, like whoever hits, and I don't, I mean, tight end prospecting is like really a, a, a game of like whack fuck. Like, no one knows. But. <laughs> <laughs> Kincaid, Meyer, Laporta—they all kind of have the rel like the needed athletic. I guess not Kincaid, but the relatively good athletic testing, relatively good collegiate production, good landing spots. Like they all kind of check the boxes of like, why can't all these guys, eighteen months from now, be? Well, also the other thing is that Kelsey is going to be done soon. So like, yeah, yeah, the tight right. the tight end. Like it's gonna like um, the needed points to be like the tight end two might be like so much less in in a year, you know. There is nothing worse. Well, there's one thing worse. It's when you need a quarterback. But after you need like trading a after first you need a quarterback, vibes. right? That's the worst, right? Like, uh, yeah, like I, I had one. It's yeah, not a I good vibe. I had a team where my quarterback last year were Kyler, Jameis, and Tom Brady. And I got, went into this offseason. It's like, well, I guess I need to trade a first for Geno Smith now. Like, that's that's my life. But beyond that situation, like, not having a tight end is one of the worst situations. Because nobody ever wants to give away a tight end for free, right? Like, nobody has that much depth at tight end, usually. Like, I'll, I'll even have tight end rooms where it's like I have Andrews, and I have Goddard, and I have Dulcich, and it's like, if you want my Greg Dulcich, like, I better get a tight end in return. Like, I, I need to keep this stockpiled. So I'm I'm always trying to look at building out the tight end room. I'm, and 
Yeah, it ends up being I have Kincaid at the 110 right now. Um, I have Mayer at the 111 right now, and I have Sam Laporta at the 201. So I'm I'm pretty aggressive in my ranking of these tight ends. It's just I think I'm one spot behind you on. I have Laporta at the 201. I have Kincaid 11 and Mayer 12. So we're like yeah. So it's 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 pretty much in the same zone. Like think about Trey McBride. Like that guy was brutal last year. He couldn't take Zach Ertz off the field to save his life. Zach Ertz leaves, and then McBride is just objectively worse than Zach Ertz was. And you try to trade a 206 for Trey McBride right now. Try it. See how that works in tight end premium. Like, it's it's probably not going to result in you adding Trey McBride to your roster. So, and that was a late second round pick. These guys were all drafted ahead of Trey McBride. Um, presumably, you'd think base case they have a better rookie year than literally not playing and then playing badly when the geriatric tight end ahead of you gets hurt. So I, I would be pretty excited about them or the running backs. Like after the first four wide receivers, I'll let Pat sell me on Marvin Mims. Um, but after the first four wide receivers, just a tough sell for me to take guys where I need them to be way better as wide receivers to be able to have real resale value or generate legitimate production. Then I need these tight ends and running backs to be good at tight end and running back. Yeah, that's, that's very fair. My thing with Mims is that his profile I thought was very strong with draft capital, but I just wasn't sure if that draft capital was going to be there. And then, you know, the Broncos trade up for him to get him at the end of the second yeah. round. And it's like, I don't know what's going on with the Saints quarterback situation, but I know Sean Payton's going to be there. And to get the wide receiver that he just yeah. put the stand, this is my wide receiver. You know, after he's talked about trading Judy, talked about trading Sutton, I'm like, I think I think Marvin Mims is going to be, you know, a big part of that offense and has been one of these guys that like Debbie guys have talked up is we, you know, we love Mims. Like Mims has been kind of like almost forgotten about or almost like people have gotten bored of him. We don't, you know, talking to Travis May kind of making that case. Um, and then, you know, he didn't have the strongest analytical profile, but it was pretty good. And now with second round draft capital, I mean, maybe you're just like making a, a bet of I've got to be right a little bit here with Mims, but like it is the type of bet where I'm confident. Just yeah. like I think, I think Mims is really good, and I think he actually has a ceiling um, as a right. second round wide receiver with a really good profile. Do you, can you explain like where's the volume ceiling? I guess my fear with Mims is that I've, and maybe this is just bad vibes based analysis, but I think like I have been. I've raced past the warning signs on these productive field stretchers before. It, it seemed to never benefit me in the past where like, I think of Deami Brown, I think of KJ Hamler as guys where their profile looks good in a vacuum, but they're high dot guys doesn't seem to translate to a high volume role in the NFL. And then I wind up being dissatisfied. Like, do you see something in Mims where you think he's going to be able to earn like over 0.2 targets per route run and run all the routes? That is, yeah. I mean, I think the issue is like you're worried he's he's like a KJ Hamler type of guy. I mean, he can but, be better than KJ Hamler, but I guess my my fear is like, I don't know, like I'm trying to think of a good example. But like, is he is he can he be Brandon Cooks or is he just like yeah? I think he can be Brandon around. Cooks. Okay. Yeah, like, I mean, Brandon, Brandon Cooks would be a pretty he's a great play first, right? That Brandon Cooks would be a he's not as good a prospect as Brandon Cooks was, and um that outcome would be like a huge upside type of outcome. But I don't, 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, he's he's really fast. He's sub four four. Yeah. He was he was productive. He's got sufficient size. He's one eighty three. I mean, Garrett, what's Garrett Wilson like? One eighty one. So like, he's not like he's not so small that I think we should be like using it to lower his ceiling if he's really Wind, good. Windhorst, Windhorst pointing meme. The Denver Broncos hate Jerry Judy, but they picked yeah. up his fifth year contract option. Yeah. Windhorse pointing meme. What if they did that to make him a more attractive trade asset mm -hmm. so that the team gets two years Certainly. of control and all of a sudden Marvin Mims is just Jerry Judy? Yeah. I mean, that would be great because I think the other wide receivers on Denver are not very good. So that would be tremendous. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that is the issue though, Jake, was that maybe he's just a deep threat. And then, but, and that's not because he gets open. That's what Peyton talked about. He was like, the, the quote, I tweeted this out, it's so funny. He's like, a lot of guys in this class looks like they're driving in rush hour traffic Monday through Friday. Oh, yeah. You see this guy? This guy's driving on Saturday and Sunday. He was open. It was different. It's like, all right, so I like Sean, hearing that. Do you think Sean Payton thinks he's found his Brandon Cooks or has he found his Devery Henderson? That's that's going to be like my question. Let's hope it's Cooks. Let's hope it's Cooks. <laughs> okay. You've talked <laughs> me into it a bit more. I have him at 205 right now. I, I saw where you have him ranked, and it is it is not 205. Uh, so maybe maybe I'll move him up. Yeah. Maybe I should maybe I should move him behind the tight ends. Oh, right, maybe I'll, I'll move him ahead. I'm move, I'm I, keeping him ahead of Levis. So you can't talk me out of that. The tight ends, the tight ends, those three guys are all I'm better than him. Yeah, I moved him ahead yeah, and of. That's uh, from that's from the Sooner the fan. Ends. So. <laughs> I love I love Just Marvin that. Mims, but I love Marvin Mims, but uh, I mean. Also, Denver is like not that good of a landing spot, you know. Like, do we, see, I not. think it's fine. Do we think that Russ is what? What would we wager the chances of Russ being good again? Because coming off of last season, I was actually pretty optimistic for the bounce back. But talk about bad vibes based analysis. The vibes have been really bad <laughs> since John Payton has come in and like made it clear, at least in my eyes, that he wants to establish the run and set his team up to move on from Russell Wilson if he's not extraordinarily well behaved but how like, how is that bad for marvin mims sean payton who yeah. is i think we all agree is a very good offensive coach is like yeah. russ one shot you got one shot right. if you're not good i'm moving on that's exactly what i want russ was horrible last year that's i don't fair. want some guy who's like i can fix russ i'm gonna tie three years of my life to okay. it I, well i guess the best case for marvin mims is that russ is like good because a good russ is the best quarterback yeah. possible for marvin mims yeah, a good Russ is ideal, and Russ sucking and being gone after the year is my second favorite choice. And I think Peyton yeah, gives you reasonable. both outcomes. There's no, okay. there's no outcomes where Russ sucks and is there next year because Peyton's. It's pretty clear that Peyton took this job with the idea of, this is my show. So yeah. All right, you've talked I, me into it. I'm I'm gonna move him ahead of Will Levis. All right, we've. <laughs> <laughs> great to move one spot ahead of Will Levis, which is where he sits now in my ranks as well. Isn't isn't Will Levis just like fancy Josh Dobbs at this point? Like, what's what are we oh, thinking? No. What are we thinking is going to happen for him? Like the NFL clearly, they told us all this fan fiction about oh Houston likes him more than Stroud, and it just was all fake. It was all it was, it was all of it fake. was fake. It was hey. all made up. Um, F Mary Kill, Will Levis, Desmond Ritter, Jordan Love, Mary Jordan Love. Fuck Will Levis, Desmond Ritter's got to go. He just it's he don't have it. That's correct. Ritter's Ritter's. I no, mean, 
There's like I'm, 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 I'm marrying Jordan Love, but I am I will stand here and I will fuck Desmond Ritter. That man gets to throw to Drake London, Kyle Pitts. He has Bijan Robinson pulling hey, Jacob, the safeties up. Jacob, let me tell you something. You're gonna have a lot of time. You two are gonna have a lot of time to fuck because Ryan Tannehill's going to to Atlanta. That's the guy who's throwing all those dudes. <laughs> you and you and Ritter can hang out for as long as you want. I mean, Will Levis, have you seen the Titans depth chart, man? Like, Will Levis is going to be out here throwing a racy McMath for his one NFL chance. Like, no, thank you. Hey, man, don't do Burks like that. I, I like Traylon Burks. Um, well, all right, let's – whoa, Jacob just dropped off. <laughs> Jacob's – I think his computer probably died. He just moved into his house. Um, yeah, but – or he just really hates Traylon Burks. Davis, are you around? You Can, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. All right. Um Chase Brown. Let's talk Chase Brown. Jacob's back. back. Chase Brown, we got a question on him. Uh, I think this is a pretty interesting one because opportunity-wise, Chase Brown uh, landed in about as good a spot as anybody. You know, well, let me let me be let me be the cold water then. Oh. I liked Chase Brown better when he was named Travion Williams, and I like Travion Williams better when he was named Chris Evans. Wait, Davis, <laughs> I've got to remember that guy. Remember Rodney Anderson? Yes. Oh yes, yeah. I do. I do remember Rodney Anderson. That's I remember, singer, isn't it? I he so. was. Uh, he was a Sooners transfer, but yes, he was. Oh. He was a Sooner. <laughs> he was a Sooner at one point. So the thing, the thing is, I think this is just a bad example of fantasy football nerd fan fiction, where we're like, okay, we liked him as a prospect. He's he he checks X, Y, and Z box, and the far more likely scenario is that they just retain the services of Joe Mixon. Like we keep wanting Joe Mixon to not be on the Bengals roster and it's May 1st. The draft came and went. He's still on the roster. I don't think you need Joe Mixon to be off the roster. I think if Chase Brown is just, I think if Chase Brown can be the number two running back behind Joe Mixon, right. Like give me two eleven for a rookie contract, number two back behind Joe Mixon in a top five offense and with no obvious satellite back on the roster, and I'll just play, wait for the Joe Mixon injury and get the RB8 for two weeks, right? Like if he has this season, mm. if he has the same season, that, that feels that feels optimistic year, to me. Right? He's not that good of a prospect. He was athletic, but he's old. It's like he's also not that. Big. I don't think he's, he's like 209. I don't think he he's not a three horse three three down workhorse type necessarily. But, but but I don't think he needs to be a three down workhorse. Like this is why I might even prefer him with. Joe Mixon on the roster is like, I don't think he's in a, a team's intentional three down workhorse, but I could see the Bengals being like, yeah, we're going to keep Joe Mixon. And if he gets hurt and we have to just feed Chase Brown for two weeks, that's okay. Like, I, yeah. Could he have, could, could he have the Eno Benjamin that. season from last year without, you know, he knows the Kingsbury of getting cut, right? Like, where, yeah. where Eno is like a backup and then, Connor gets hurt and they're like, yeah, like we don't want, you know, Benjamin to be our feature running back, but he can be for two weeks and you get some usable production. And then Chase Brown, so our, our, like a our best case sort. scenario, our best, ca- our, our bull case is, you know, Benjamin. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's yeah. what I think he is. Aren't you excited? Eno. Aren't you excited for the, you know, Benjamin? Or Alexander Madison, he could be too. Well, Madison is, is a smash. If you get Madison at what Chase right. Brown costs right now, that's a smash. I've been taking a lot of Chase Brown. I, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with these guys. Like I, I like the handcuff running backs to an extent. Like you get, imagine if you had Alexander Madison. If you took him at the where did he go? Probably like the two three turn in rookie drafts. I think like if you were taking Alexander Madison 
at the two, three turn in rookie drafts, you probably got what, like 10 times where you put him into your lineup. You knew exactly when to put him into your lineup. You knew when to chill him on the bench. 70% of the time he hit for you, you could probably still sell for the 206 today. Yeah, it's hard for me to tout Zach Charbonnet and then not be in the Chase Brown, but I just don't really like Chase Brown that much. Yeah, that's fair. I, but I would... I, it, at 211, I don't have any issues with it at all. Um, I think maybe I'm going to be more into him in Dynasty than in best ball because it seems like in this question they're asking, you know, what if he gets up into the 12th round of best ball drafts? And for me, Lots no way. I'm out. Yeah, but as a late second round pick in um, like Superflex, where like the other thing about Superflex is the leagues tend to be a lot deeper. And so having right. those guys that you can actually slot in, like using your roster as the waiver wire a little bit is very helpful. If he goes in the 12th round in best ball, that's, it's just so bad because like the Bengals are going to sign, I don't know, Daryl Williams um, or someone of the Daryl Williams extended universe. And like that guy's going to be 50, 50 with chase Brown to be the number two back. So yeah. you can't draft that guy in, in the 12th round, but I'll draft him in the, I've been drafting him in the 16th for however long that lasts. So Steph Miller asks, what is decent value if I sell Mixon right now in Superflex, the flip side of this backfield? I think I'm Mixon's just keeping pro- Joe Mixon's, Mixon. Mixon's probably a good buy right now, honestly. Yeah. I would, what do you, you send Joe Mixon, Davis? I'll send, look, I'll send the 206 for Joe Mixon right now. Absolutely, I would send the 206 huh. for Joe Mixon. Yeah, I think I'd do on that. A, on I, a good team, on a good team, if my team sucks, like, what's the point? But... If, right, if right. Joe Mixon stays a Cincinnati Bengal this year, like what's your median outcome? 16 points per game for a year and like 15 maybe points 13. per game? Yeah, maybe 15. Sure, 15 points. 14, 15 14, to six, 14 to 16 points per game. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like you're getting a fringe RB1 probably. I, I think Joe Mixon could have a better year than last year. Samaj so P. Ryan's off the team. Like, yeah, are, that's are true. Are they going to use Chris Evans or Chase Brown on third downs? I don't they're know. Not using Chris Evans. Maybe. We know that. <laughs> right. They're not using Chris Evans. That guy is barely even a kick returner. Like, yeah. so I, I think Joe Mixon could be a low end RB one this year. And like, I mean, we just talked about how depressing the early second round is. Like, I don't know what if Joe Mixon has 16 points per game this year. Is that more value over replacement? In what percentage of scenarios than Kendry Miller's entire career? Like 70% of scenarios? Yeah, what a bummer. <laughs> you're right, but stop it. Stop, stop doing what yeah. you're doing. <laughs> like you can at the 206, you can either draft um Rashi Rice or you can draft Travis Etienne's backup, in, or you can get in. Joe in. Rashi Rice. <laughs> yeah. You should have picked. You should have picked Jaden Reed, dude. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> up, up you got to know your audience, man. Come on. <laughs> All right, let's talk a different um, uh, handcuff running back, Jerome Ford. Uh, M S O S S about Jerome yeah. Ford. Is he truly going to be the second man to Chubb? And how should we play the Chubb situation with Hunt and Dearness Johnson now gone? Davis and I were just on ADP chasing. I, it sounds like I'm a bit more bullish on Davis than Chubb, although it doesn't seem like you're out on Chubb Davis, but. Thoughts on the, the the Browns backfield? This is a this is a spot where like on May first, I think we can tell ourselves lots of stories, and they're all probably less interesting than what ends up happening. Like they are the team that signed Zeke, that some some third string running back we don't even know. Like here, let's, let's I even think is, about that, dude. They could this totally is, be the team well, that signed Zeke. That, that would well, that would make a lot of sense. That, well, you know, they're the team that signs Kareem Hunt, probably. Right. But they also, so they also have, I think they think Hunt is done. They also have John Kelly, 
John Kelly has played, has hung around NFL teams for a while. They yeah. they got Hassan Hall as an undrafted free agent. Like just I think there are a lot of ways that this production can be split up and divided in ways that are not beneficial for fantasy football yeah. is really the Do thing. Do you guys remember in 2021 when Kareem Hunt got hurt and there were people that were touting Nick Chubb being the RB1 overall for however long Kareem Hunt got hurt? And yes. then they employed a man who was previously a fisherman as of about 18 months prior uh, to play every single long down and distance. This and is, this is the type of shit like – uh, NFL coaches would rather give snaps to a fisherman than go to therapy. Like, like, they, right, like Johnson was literally like he had his line in the water and he was reeling in a he was reeling in a mahi mahi and he got the call oh, he's from doing, Andrew Barry. He's doing some uh, deep like, fishing, right? No, that is literally what he fished for was mahi mahi off the Florida Keys. That you can wow. that's a hundred percent a true story. And and he got the cell phone call. They were like, "Look, man, we need we can't." We would rather die than let Nick Chubb ever see the field on a third and eight. Like you, you need to get here immediately. I, I just see. I, I had him fishing I for trout in in the in the river. I didn't know his is uh, no. The, it was off the Florida Keys. Um, I think I don't know. I just think that they look at Chubb and they're like, "Look, man, you have an extraordinary comparative advantage at running the ball. Like you're better at it than anybody, and you're probably dead ass average at playing in passing situations." And we would just rather preserve your body for the things that you're the best at and play some other jag to do things 90% as good as you. Like, I, it's smart. That's what teams should do. It's just annoying for us. So, I don't know. I look at Chubb's ADP in best ball. I'd rather have Tony Pollard. I'd rather have Brees Hall. Um, I think I might rather have Ramondre Stevenson. Um, that was the guy but, that I was – so I'm working on my best ball ranks right now and pulling it up. I have Tony Pollard and Brees Hall ranked above Nick Chubb. But I have him ranked ahead of Ramondre Stevenson, and uh, Kyle Dvorak was actually prompting me to. It's like, dude, come on, believe in your guy. So that's what I'm gonna have to think about. But there's... I'll buy Chubb and Dynasty though, because I think Chubb is so good that I I'm willing to like. I don't know. Would anybody be surprised if Nick Chubb is 30 years old? And he's still averaging five yards per carry. I wouldn't be surprised. Did you? Did, did we just invite Evan Silva onto the program? Like, did Jacob just go like all like? <laughs> Say what you want, but he's the best pure rusher in the NFL. Like, <laughs> say what on, you want, but on. he is the best pure rusher in the NFL. Well, second best. Hang on, Dave. Three hundred carries this year. Of course, I'm having technical difficulties, not be able to do this. All right, Jacob. Uh, the turn. How do I turn your camera off? That's what I'm trying to do. Turn your camera off, Jacob, for this bit. I can't. I can't figure out how to do it. There you go. All right, Jacob. Should we trade for Nick Chubb and Dynasty? <laughs> how do I get my camera on? I can't figure uh, it out. I don't know. I don't. Look, I can't get my camera on, but say what you want. None of your spreadsheet socialism is going to take <laughs> Nick Chubb away from sniffing that end zone 12 times this year, and he's going to be sniffing that end zone in 2026. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. This podcast got way more high T. All right. I, I, uh... I'm dead serious. Trade for Nick Chubb and Dynasty today. I was about to uh, put Ramondre Stevenson ahead of my best ball ranks, and now I'm not. Actually, Evan Silva actually convinced me not to. So <laughs> <laughs> that was a good good impression. It actually uh, persuaded me. Um, I have lost my place in these questions, but uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's go to wide receiver. Maybe we'll circle back to running back if I find the running back question I had before. But um, this the draft was kind of interesting in terms of uh, 
all the top wide receivers. So this is Bullock asking, would be interested in your all three of our rankings of the first round wide receivers. Is JSN still a tier above Quentin Johnson to the Chargers moving the needle for any of us? Hot take. Ever, and everyone's already told me I'm stupid. Like Leone and I just argued about this this morning. I think taking Addison over JSN is defensible. No one else, no one else agrees with this, but I think it's I think it's pretty defendable. Weren't you a noted not in Dynasty? Yeah, I didn't really I didn't really like him, and but I also not really into JSN either relative to what the the hyperbole. Hmm. Like he's good. Uh, I don't. I don't think he's got legendary upside. I, I don't. Uh, I don't think. I don't think we're gonna live in a universe where uh, J, uh, JSN goes 11, 119, and two in week three, and people are are tweeting JSN dynasty wide receiver one. Like I don't. I don't think. I don't think he's quite that guy. And Addison just nutted his landing spot so hard. Really? He did for best ball, but I think if we. He's always going to be capped. He's a capped asset sure, in Dynasty. Sure, that's true. That's true. I guess I haven't really gotten past. I, I haven't really thought past just being like, I don't see any way this guy doesn't score like 190 PPR points minimum year one. Because I agree with your the idea that JSN that you could take Jordan Addison over JSN in best ball because guy yeah. hitting the ground running Addison could be that guy in a big way. And I like Addison a lot as a prospect, but. I'm betting on JSN long-term. I think he has a chance to emerge as the clear number one guy, even with DK Metcalf there, you know, eventually. It's yeah. probably year three from, you know, it's probably going to take him three years to do it, but I think he could do it. You know what's so wild is, like, these landing spots feel almost identical to me to the 2020 landing spots where you got Addison is, like, landing in the Jefferson slot where it's like, oh, like, he's going to be the ready-made number two wide receiver from day one. And JSN's to me is so indicative of the CD Lamb spot where he was the guy that people were hyped on coming in as the top wide receiver in the class. And then he goes to a place where he's probably not going to run all the routes year one, but he's still probably the best guy. You're going to see those flashes. He's next to an ostensible other number one, in this case being um, DK Metcalf, kind of in that Amari Cooper ilk. And then Johnston kind of gets like the Rager spot where it's like, oh, we got this young quarterback with the cannon arm and he could be the long-term number one. Obviously, we didn't know at that time that Carson Wentz was the worst. But... Or that Rager was the worst. <laughs> or the Rager was the worst, yeah. Um, Double worst. It's interesting. I, I've been, I had Addison over QJ coming in and I've been fending people off trying to get me to move QJ over Addison because they see that as the not landing spot. I agree that's the best landing spot of, of the three from a long-term perspective, but I don't know. I think it's JSN still for me. You look at how CeeDee Lamb was treated in that rookie year. He was never scoring at a particularly um, alarming rate, but people saw what they needed to see. They saw that he confirmed their priors. People were like, he'll pass up Gallup's bum ass eventually, and he'll probably pass up Cooper eventually after that. I think that's what we're going to kind of see out of JSN. I'm probably on the more optimistic side with Gino, um, and I think that he can actually keep this up and run a pretty functioning offense over there. Yeah, I, I would keep JSN in a tier of one among the wide receivers. It's just, it's unfortunate that he went to a spot where, like, I, I thought in a good landing spot, we had a pretty reasonable opportunity for him to be a year one fringy wide receiver one if he was the prince that was promised, and that's probably not the case now if he's going to run, like, 75% of the routes. Agreed. Yep. Uh, any thought? So, so Addison over uh, Quentin Johnson for all three of us then. 
Yeah. Yes. And then do you guys have – is there anyone who would put – I don't think the flowers of our Quentin Johnson and Addison conversation isn't isn't really there, right? I mean, that's – Yeah, I, I, had, I had flowers at three pre-draft, but um, I even put there, I was like, I'm just breaking a tie and we'll see what happens with landing spots. And obviously Quentin Johnson's landing spot is exponentially yeah. better. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk the second round NFL draft wide receivers. Um, question here from RBP. Uh, in particular, the guys who we were kind of surprised about, like Jaden Reed, um, Rasheed Rice, Jonathan Mingo. Uh, thoughts on those guys? And Davis, uh, w- tell us why Rasheed Rice is finally gonna finally gonna work. Yeah, please. Uh, I mean, I can't. Obviously, it's just like. <laughs> But but imagine but imagine if you're me and you spend the, the last four years being like Hardman's finally going to happen and now he's a Jet and then you go all in on Sky Moore you take him in all these leagues you take him at the 107 you take him at the 108 and he goes to dust and then you're like I learned my lesson I'm not going to do it again and then Rice <laughs> rookie year right just immediate breakout right long touchdown in his first game he's the punt returner and he doesn't muff every punt he's got a good. <laughs> Like, just imagine. Um, so it's like, even if I can't even tell myself in my heart that he's going to be the guy, I could not live with myself in a world where he hits and I'm not, like, massively exposed. So I will just simply be <laughs> – I will just be Charlie Brown and, and the football. Like, you know, I – it is what it is. And I'm, I've made yeah. my peace with it. Yeah. I, I was listening to Ben and Sean during the draft, and Ben especially was really bummed that the Chiefs – uh, took Rasheed Rice instead of someone that we think might be good. And I feel the opposite. I am so grateful that they took a guy who I think is a total bum because this only goes one of two ways. Like if the market is going to be like, hey, we just did this with Sky Moore and this guy's even worse than Sky Moore, then great. I'll take my free flyers. And yes. if the market pumps him up, I'm so content to allow other people to take him out of me. So I, I just feel like either way, this is a win-win situation. I'm here for it. Like last year it sucked because it was like I – I like Sky more enough that I didn't want to envision a world in which I didn't draft a bunch of Sky more. And that led me to do deeply irresponsible things and chase him up the board to places he had no business being. So you uh, and me both. Yeah. <laughs> Two eyes. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think it's, 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 I'm grateful to the chiefs for drafting Rasheed Rice. Like if they drafted Marvin Mims, like I'd have to take out a second loan, right? That would be a, that would be a problem. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm with you there. I actually, I agree. Yeah, Jonathan Mingo, I can't imagine having less interest in a player. Um, like, it, to me, that just seems like the obvious fade, where he's a prospect that never really did anything in Ole Miss. He is, like, okay, he's big, but he's, like, probably a slot-wide receiver. He, he seems to have most success underneath and after the catch, not as much downfield. And then he goes to a wide-open depth chart, which is, like, nice in theory, but... Like if we're talking about a not very productive power slot wide receiver, is that the type of archetype you think will have success with DJ Chark and Adam Thielen drawing coverage away from him? Like I don't, I don't foresee a lot of efficiency in his immediate future. So that's that's the guy who will allow me to take tight ends and running backs. Where do you think he's going to go in these rookie jobs? I mean, I guess you know where he's going because you're in eight of them. Well, I've seen a wide range. I've I've seen him go as early as two hundred one, and I've seen him go as late as two seven two eight, and and I've yet to consider him. I'll put it that way. I have him ranked. Um, I have him ranked probably too low to be honest. Uh, maybe I'm just proving a point or something. But I'm ranked at the three hundred four, so I will be getting zero, John. Okay. Zero. 
I have him ranked at the 205. So I think okay. at the on the back end of those ranges, I I would be happy to get some exposure. I think you know he's drafted with enough draft capital that they're going to be um, incentivized to get him out on the field, see what he can do, get him targets. Uh, in the road of his uh, box score scout, his second highest comp is Michael Pittman, which is like kind of perfect because that's oh. exactly the type of bet that yeah, I'm making. It is. And he, Chase Claypool comes up. Um, Debo Samuel yeah. actually comes up. Well, I think they're, you know, he's wow, not Debo okay. Samuel, obviously. But he's like, you're talking me into it. He's big. He's athletic. He was okay. drafted highly. Team's going to get him involved right away. That's a pretty good bet to increase in value. I was making the case that in best ball, you want to be taking him now because if he gets up into the single digit yeah. rounds, that's not a good bet, but he's a pretty good bet in the double digit rounds. I think even, you know, 10, 11, I think you can talk yourself into it because he's going to get targets right away. So high target rate and playing time is basically my whole argument. And he's he is very athletic. Like if we're going to yeah. make exceptions for dudes with who don't have the profiles we want, size and athleticism and draft capital is is the things we want to be looking for. So so you have him solidly over like Jalen Hyatt, Jaden Reed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, look, I, the, the target. I mean, Jaden Reed. Jaden Reed has the same draft capital. Also, is a pretty open depth chart. I, I like him a lot more as a prospect. Like he has a, a more impressive production profile to me than Mingo. Yeah, it's probably better. He had the great the great freshman year, but he fell off in his final season. He's a fifth year guy, right. and he's not that big. He's like probably a slot receiver. So, you know, yeah, but he gets some rushing work too. I, I'll I'll think uh, maybe I'll move him up over over Hyatt and Reed, especially maybe Hyatt. Like. I don't know. Maybe I'm lingering too much on like the where Hyatt was supposed to go versus where he actually went. Like, there's probably not that defensible of a reason to have Mingo behind Jalen Hyatt. That, that's something I can change. I think the other thing too is like if you're in a if you're in a league where no trades ever take place, I'm much less interested in you selecting Jonathan Mingo because I don't think he's very good. But I think if you are in, if you're in liquid dynasty leagues and you should be like that's the whole fun of being in a dynasty league is, is trading and everything and you know. And it also makes it way more easy to win the leagues because you can use that to your advantage to, you know, target players who will have trade value in the future. Right. Uh, but Mingo does strike me as a guy who people will be interested in. Um, yeah. Once they see, once they see that he's very likely to get targets or is getting a lot of targets. Maybe this speaks to my like bench building philosophy, but like I would just rather take Chase Brown to be honest than Jonathan Mingo. Like I would just no, like at least no. Chase Brown is a guy where it's like. I just know exactly when I'm starting him, and I know that he's probably going to provide value over replacement when he's in my lineup. Whereas Mingo, like, feels like it's like, I don't know, like, is it a success if Jonathan Mingo is Nico Collins? Because Nico Collins, yes. I think, would be a success. And I guarantee you, I could trade uh, Jonathan Mingo. For, or I guarantee you, I could trade Jonathan Mingo for Nico Collins today extraordinarily easily. And, and I think Nico Collins would be a, a wonderful outcome for me. It's just a matter of what well, determining fair. what you're trying to do with the resource. Like, yeah, the, but these type of like small win type moves are like, you know, that's not really how you win leagues, you know? I don't know. I think getting a mink, like he could be Pittman is basically what I think. I think he could, he could be if you, Well, yeah. Okay. Okay. If he can be Pittman, that's a yeah. gigantic win. Pittman's profile isn't much better. It's like, in, no, it's also a second round profile pick. sucked. Yeah, and I, and I, I admittedly, I don't think I drafted Michael Pittman a single time. Um, I didn't either. I was like, I, yeah. this is the easiest fade ever. Give for me, me all the Visca. Yeah. Give me all the, you yeah. know, I did pick Higgins, thankfully. But, like, yeah, yeah, it was like skipping. Pittman was the guy I was skipping. I wanted Ayuk. I wanted Visca. I wanted Higgins. Yeah. I didn't want – I wanted Rager. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, 
maybe a little let's let's stay a little humble is what i'm telling myself yeah, as I it's a good point it's you know the, dra- the draft capital is almost a first round level it's it's pretty big um all right question on draft strategy and psychology when drafting uh, are there any players you will not draft no matter what? How do you get over bad yes. burns and biases from players from previous seasons? You don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jacob, any thoughts? <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is this will once again risk um, Pete referring to me as an incel. But... Uh, <laughs> For any of my portfolio dynasty friends out there in the universe. Yeah, this is such a Drew Dinkmeyer ass answer coming in where it's like, we don't hate players. We hate ADPs type five. So the, well, the way I look at it is like, once we get into tiers, I try to set target exposures for each player. And then, so I have my ranks, but I'm looking at, okay, these are guys that I want to be three X the market on two X the market on one X the market on. And then from there, I'm like, where do I need to actually take these guys to achieve that? And so usually what ends up happening is in each pocket, I'm looking at what are the guys I want to have massive stands on? What are the guys I fear not having at least an at market position of? And what are the guys that I'm willing to pass up so that I can get my excess position elsewhere? So like when I'm looking at a Jonathan Mingo, for instance, going in like that mid two range, like there's going to be guys like a Laporta, for instance, I want to be aggressively over market on. And then to me, a guy like, Rasheed Rice, for example, is a player where, like, I don't really want, but I don't want zero of. Like, I I don't like the idea of having 0% of a Patrick Mahomes receiver in a extraordinarily ambiguous wide receiver room. And then I look around at my guy Mingo, and I'm like, yeah, like, if I want to get extra Laporta, and I don't want it to come entirely at the um, expense of Rasheed Rice, like, that leaves me not drafting Mingo. Like, that would be an example. Yeah. Like, last year, for instance, like, a good a good example was, the early first, I was like, the guy I really want was Garrett Wilson. And then I don't want to be underweight on Burks and I could give less of a crap about Ken Walker. So it was like, I'm, I'm just never going to take Walker over these guys, even though he has the higher ADP. I'm not going to take Wilson every time at 103, because if I did, then I would have like no Burks. So I'll kind of mix and match Burks Wilson. And then I'll always take whoever's left at the 105. I like that approach. Yeah. And that will... You'll miss on the Mingos. But, you know, I've compared it to Michael Pittman. If you don't have Michael Pittman, you're fine. You're fine. Well, and here's, and here's the thing. Michael Pittman was extraordinarily affordable after his rookie year. Like, I think with that's the thing with a lot of these wide receivers, especially ones that have bad prospect profiles. Like, Christian Watson had, on a per-route basis at least, a, a pretty comparable rookie season to the elite guys. But the residual disrespect to his prospect profile still exists with him to the point that, like, and he you didn't have the full play time. And, yeah. If you'd had three more you, games like that, I think we'd be more in. Well, but even, okay, take example, Brandon Ayuk. And that one didn't really end up working out. But, like, he had a phenomenal rookie season. And and he lagged behind, like, CeeDee Lamb and T. Higgins, the guys, by a lot. Like, you could get him after the rookie year. So, I guess, to me, with some of these bad wide receiver prospect profiles, like, I'll just not draft them. And then the ones that I think actually are going to be good, I'll just trade for them the next off season. And uh, it'll be more expensive, but it won't be so cost prohibitive that I, I fear missing out. Whereas some of the running backs, like, I don't know, like 
to me, like not taking any Damian Pierce last year in the mid second, I think would have stung. Like you miss out on a chance to trade a guy for like a mid first in the middle of that rookie season. Like that would have been, I think, unfortunate mm-hmm. if you fully zeroed him versus if you fully zeroed, gosh, like I can't even remember last year's rookie drafts, but insert mid second wide receiver, like you're probably sleeping at night. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I like that. I think you've talked me out of Mims again <laughs> or um, Mingo. Sorry, not, never Mims. I would never talk um, to you at a Mims. Never talk to me at a Mims. All right, a question from Kiv. I'd like Davis to open up his third eye. Assuming both tight ends reach their... <laughs> maybe you should close your eyes for this, Davis. Close <laughs> both tight ends have reached their 100th percentile outcome, okay? Laporta not, and Meyer. Not 95, 100th. Okay. Who is more valuable, Kyle Pitts or Darnell Washington? Oh God! I think I need to get to like my ninth. Like my chakras are not aligned enough for this. I it's it's pits. It's pits, right? Because I actually it's think pits and it's a landslide. I think. <laughs> no, no, because I I get so I get what this person is saying because Washington is like if he were truly to evolve into like a Voltron esque Calvin Johnson, but two hundred and sixty pounds, it'd be like there'd be nothing anyone could do with him, right? Like imagine if Travis Kelsey was 40 pounds heavier and two inches taller, you know, but Pitts' 100th percentile is like breaking the record for receptions in a season. Like he's getting like 22 targets a game from Ryan Tannehill or something. So it's, it's Pitts, but I do totally get the point of this question. And like, I'll probably be picking off Washington in the third and fourth round of a lot of these guys. Cause I think the market was like, Oh, red flags, injuries yeah. so like what rap sheet tweeted teams had maturity concerns with him mm. and maybe he is just a blocker you know maybe uh maybe he is just chris manhurts or whatever but dude I, if he even turns into like uh donald parham type like tease vibes i'm getting i'm into that yeah i took i took my first darnell of the well i took a lot of them pre-draft that, that didn't yeah. work out um but i took him in, my, in a real rookie draft today the 408 um, which the opportunity cost there is uh, non-existent. So, like, there were multiple UDFA running backs off the board by that point. Four hundred eight. I mean, God, I I guess I have him ranked because I have him ranked, and I only went forty deep, so I've got him ahead of that. But uh, what are, what are some late guys that you're taking ahead of Darnell Washington that I should add to my ranks? Well, Zach Evans and Sean Tucker in every single draft. Not Sean um, Tucker. Yeah, I mean. If there's anyone yeah, I want to bet me, against, it's Rashad sell, White. No, sell me, sell me. First off, you're wrong. Second off, uh, <laughs> why? Once, once a guy with medical concerns straight up gets undrafted, isn't that like, don't we just write him off? Uh, I mean, you can. I guess my point, my counter to that would be like, why not? <laughs> like, I, I think that's pretty much it. Like, you look at the guys in round three, round four. Anyone who doesn't play running back or tight end that's going in round three and round four, their odds of ever mattering on a dynasty team are just extraordinarily low, like in terms of the the wide receiver and stuff going around there. So you have tight ends, you can stick on your taxi squad forever. You have running backs. Most of the running backs left at that point are like, okay, you can have round seven Dwayne McBride who like wouldn't be able to catch something if you threw him the remote. Um, like, or you can take a shot with Sean Tucker. Like, I would just rather take a shot with Sean Tucker. No, come on. We want seventh one, Dwayne McBride. Cook could could be gone. Yeah, but come on. That's fun. 
Pat, Pat makes. I don't. I don't. I don't think Dwayne McBride is is fun whatsoever. Like I, I like he's fun. Dwayne Dude, talk about elucidating. He, he's an elucidating crusher, man. Give him some credit. Dwayne McBride's ninety fifth percentile outcome is Khalil Herbert, who people care so little about his rushing ability that they're racing out to think Roshan Johnson is going to be a workhorse in Chicago. Hang on. Like, well, they should you, be. You, they should be. They should be rushing oh. out. Didn't you hear? Didn't you hear what the coaching staff said? They were referring. Yeah, they to love him. him as a pass protector. No, no. Well, they should because he's like, yeah, he's going to go. He is. He's, I mean, he's going to play on third downs. That's for sure. The goat as a pass protector only, but sure. Yeah. Do you guys, do you, did you get, I mean, Pat's been watching. I mean, he's like 90 hours into press conferences for all these NFL teams. Did you, <laughs> did you pick up, did you pick up that quote where they were talking about how he was a converted quarterback and that they're going to do some quote unquote fun things with that skill set? Uh, I can't believe you got me on a press car. I went and watched all the press conferences and then get scooped by Davis. I mean, dude, no, I'm deep. I'm deep in the Roshan Johnson streets. Oh man, oh, that's a good one. Gracious. Uh, by no, the way, I, I mean, hang on, hang on. I I gotta defend my my guy Dwayne McBride here because right. you compared him to Khalil Herbert like it's a bad thing. Khalil Herbert, no, I said, led the, I said that's his. He nuts. led the NFL in rush yards over expected per attempt no, last I, year. Okay, I want to be Give clear. I love Khalil. I want to be clear. I love Khalil Herbert. I stand for a Khalil Herbert going back to Virginia Tech. It has been an entire, it has been a not very fruitful standing is what I'll say. Like I, I've like, I've hit probably twice in my life where I've been very correct about a day three running back prospect that people weren't on. Like it was Pollard and Khalil Herbert. And one of these experiences has blessed me with a player on all my dynasty teams that might be a first round redraft pick. And the other has blessed me with being probably a 10th round best ball pick. And so I guess what I would say is if you're taking a long shot anyway, I would just rather bet on Sean Tucker, who can be a three-down guy if everything works out and his heart keeps beating, versus Dwayne McBride, who, like, like I love Khalil, Khalil Herbert, but if Khalil Herbert is your best-case scenario, that's, like, not the world's greatest best-case scenario. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I just would say that Khalil Herbert's best-case scenario may not have yet materialized. Like, you know, you could have – We'll see, because Roshan apparently is uh, going to be playing quarterback for the Bears. But you know, you you could get more out of a guy that talented as a rusher, I think. And Sean Tucker also, I think, only two hundred nine pounds. So yeah, to me, it's like you're kind of he's like I mean, is it is Chase Brown literally Rashad White? Like they're the same prospect. I understand Rashad no. White was drafted way higher, but like when no, you get Rashad White was field, a much better receiving prospect. White's a much better receiving prospect. It's also about ten pounds heavier. But we also got year one information on Rashad White, right? Like, I feel like the, the Rashad White prospect profile was like, okay, it looks really great in theory, but he was also old. And, like, was old. do we think this guy's actually a value adder or was he an accumulator? And then, to me, year one told us that he's an accumulator. because he, As a like, rusher, he he's the, worse than an accumulator. As a receiver, I think he's fine. I just had this argument with Sam. I, I think, Sam he's, Sherman I, I think he's fine. Like, I don't – I think he's fine and he's fantasy friendly. Like if, if Rashad White just gets the bell cow role this year, then he's going to score a ton of fantasy points. But if we're looking at it from a, where do I want really long shot running backs to be on a depth chart? Like I'm, I would like them to be on a depth chart with Rashad White, Chase Edmonds and nobody else. Like that's a pretty, I agree, I agree with you chart. there. I agree with you there. And yeah, I, I just, like I Zach Evans maybe. too. It's like, like that's, well, a, tell that's me about, such yeah. a, yeah. Tell me about Zach Evans because, um, I think maybe I'm just not quite as high on Tucker as you are, but Evans is a guy who I was like not high on at all. And it kind of has paid off so far, but I don't want to just like triple down on that take. Cause now he's kind of landed on yeah. in a situation where like, can he push acres out? What are your thoughts on him as a prospect? 
Well, so I maybe you'll see this with both the Tucker and the Evans take, but I play Debbie. Um, so I obviously have a soft spot in my heart for guys like Evans and Bigsby and Tucker, who we've been like worshiping for multiple years. Um, I think with Zach Evans, the hope was, was that he was going to be like a Joe Mixon type, like where he was 215 and he was a good runner and he was a capable receiver. And then he was 202 and he went to the sixth round. And so that's not really the case anymore, but I still think he's a really good runner. Like, he was producing much better results per carry. Like if you grade him out in terms of looking at his yards per carry plus box adjusted efficiency, a lot of the stuff that no Hills has done. A lot of people, other folks have charted versus Kendry Miller at TCU. Who's a pretty exciting prospect. Evans was a more effective player per play. He goes to Ole Miss and he doesn't get a ton of volume there either, but he was still effective per play. I Cam Akers was good for the first time in his NFL career at the end of last year. And maybe that's just because he was fully healthy. But, like, we have about a month-long sample of Cam Akers being a value-adding rusher. For most of Cam Akers' career, even pre-Achilles, he was not doing a whole lot on his carries. And there's nobody else there. Like, Kyron Williams is entirely a satellite back. I think Zach Evans, and also Tyon Evans, who's another UDFA running back that I kind of like, both get to go to a really wide-open depth chart with the Rams. And we know with McVay, like, A, he's fickle. Like, he'll be, like... Daryl Anderson, you get 80% of the snaps this week. Two weeks later, you're cut, and Cam Akers gets 100% of the snaps. Like, he'll change things on the fly. He'll roll with the guy who he thinks is hot. And if he has a guy, he'll give them literally every carry. And we've seen him give guys that might not necessarily even be excelling in the passing game chances to passing game. So I'm I'm interested in, in Zach Evans for sure. Like, the, that's a guy that stands out to me in the third round. The downside is he gets cut in camp, right? Like, I mean, I was I was standing for Keontae Ingram last year, who feels like the exact same type of bet, um, and he like almost didn't make the Cardinals. So that take that for what it's worth. I, I just think from a pure upside perspective, like Evans and Tucker are guys who I think what Evans is a guy who I think is just good. Like, I think if you give him carries, he's going to be good at football. And then Tucker is a guy where I don't really know if he's actually that good but he has all of the requisite skill sets to provide fantasy points if he happens to fall into touches. And these depth charts suck. And not just because of Akers and White. Like, nobody else is a good no player on there, these yeah. depth charts. Yeah. All right, so there's a question here. Uh, ben Cummins asked, uh, what player that received disappointing day three capital are you still kind of in on? We've answered that question, Jacob, <laughs> you and I have. <laughs> I've, I'm McBride. You've got a couple guys. Davis, talk about this one. <laughs> Well, I mean, the the real answer is Roshan, but you can you can like to be a hundred percent serious. Deuce Vaughn probably never gets twenty carries in an NFL game, even if he makes the team and is way better than we think and doesn't get blown up in in pass protection. It's it's probably Roshan is a good one. Some of these tight ends. Let me like I don't know. Some can you tell me a little bit on Roshan is because. The, the issue that I've had with him, especially even best ball rankings more so, is that like Foreman's there and Herbert is there, and they're both really good rushers. And so it's like, is there even contingent easiest, value The Easiest here? way to get on the field is to be a good pass blocker. Easiest way as a running back. And he just to get doesn't the leave. That's why D, DJ yeah. Dallas has never had one impressive moment in an NFL game and is going to be on the Seahawks roster like for 40 years. You know? It's true. And, and I think I, so you, you get him on the field. Also, I mean, like Khalil Herbert was a fourth round pick too. Dante yeah. Foreman is making less money yeah. than the winner of best ball mania Four. like, it just like, it doesn't matter. Like none of these guys matter to the coaching staff at all. Yeah. Basically. 
I just think I think Roshan's the third down back this year, personally. That that's my thought on it. I, which is fine. Like if you, it's it's not a bad if you're a day three running back and you're projected to play thirty percent of the snaps year one. That's probably a win in most cases. Um, but like Khalil Herbert's just so good. I, I don't know. I just I can't imagine a team that employs Khalil Herbert is excited to give Khalil Herbert's carries to someone else. Like they might also, think he can only handle so many carries, but I think he's just going to keep getting those carries. He was awesome on them. Um, Abanacanda is probably not dead either, just because mm, he could yeah. he could be the like Michael Carter could just be the third down back regardless of what happens, and Abanacanda is the like for like handcuff for Brees Hall. Um, That's my read too. Eric I, why, is my, why is Michael Carter on the Jets week one? I don't think he's on the Jets in week one. Who's the other running back they have? Who would be the third? Michael, Car- Michael Carter lost his job to Bam Knight last year. I think he's going to lose his job to Bam Knight again. Like, I don't know. They, I'm just not even convinced that Michael Carter is a New York Jet. Like, they, they, like, if you think about how they treated him last year, Brees Hall gets hurt. They have Michael Carter. And they were like, we got to sign for James Robinson. And then James Robinson is so bad, they can't even activate him on game days. And then they're like, yeah, we're going to run Carter in a three-man rotation with Bam Knight and Ty Johnson. Like, I I don't know. I'm not – I don't know if he's – I think I just saw Ty game. Johnson got arrested. Do, really? Am I making this up? Breaking news. Him? Really? I hope you wow. That's that's also Chase Brown, by the way, is Ty Johnson. He's the most Ty Johnson guy. I've no, seen. he just got non non football injury. I I made it up. Oh. I made up the arrest, but he is no longer <laughs> oh, no. on the roster. Non football injury, not a Jet. Right. Yeah. I I just think like if you're capable of losing snaps to Bam Knight and Ty Johnson, nothing is assured for you. That's my only stance with Michael Carter. I I, I buy that. I totally buy that. Let's talk about uh, another day three guy from years past. Tyler Algier. Question here. Uh, uh, with Bijan being drafted, what should I consider for Algier? Is he someone I should be keeping as a flex in a keeper league? Someone going to send you a 2024 fourth round for him? If not, oh, adios, on. partner. Uh, Tyler what? Algier is literally Elijah Mitchell. That's just who he is now. He's like a good Ty- Tyler Algier yeah. is not path. Elijah Mitchell. Ty- Tyler Algier is done. We will never see him again. Wait, come on. He can't be Elijah come Mitchell? On. Can he be Antonio Gibson? You are literally insulting me right Why now. Why can't he Antonio be Elijah Mitchell? Gibson? Why can't he be Elijah Mitchell? <laughs> All right, you're right. He's not, Anto- he's not Antonio Gibson. But, you know, th- what I'm saying is, a, a hand- can he be Chuba Hubbard? Could he be Chuba sure. Hubbard? Sure, he can be Chuba right. Hubbard. There you go. Okay. okay. There we go. <laughs> I went that far enough down the handcuff list. All I mean, right, so it's like he, if he you was keep a Chuba Hubbard, keep Algier. He was a non-special player to begin with who – just like kind of ambled and bumbled his like you know i mean he was four point nine yards good last, last year he was, good. he was really good i don't care i don't care fifth round <laughs> rookies, fifth round rookies earn nothing fifth round michael carter was good two years ago and then he got benched for zonovan bumbled. knight <laughs> he ambled and bumbled to a highly these, efficient rushing these, year these teams just do not care they do not care about well, that, that i agree with I, that they, they don't agree. care I mean, I I don't know. I think Algier can play. Like, he was PFS highest graded rookie running back last year. He was really fantastic in all the RYOE stats and their derivatives. I, I think he can play football. Like, I look what's at his tack- What's his tackling form like, Pat? Like, in reading your in reading your past conference reports, has yeah, he been he can be a four down player? Tackling dummy. They, look, he's gonna be active on game day because he's playing special teams. He's you playing know he's special. gonna be. You know he's on the coverage <laughs> team. He tackles yeah. so well. 
Well, except he isn't, right? Like he was inactive week one last year because they used Avery Williams on special teams. I have no idea. It's just a bit. It's a, it's my it's probably my favorite bit. It's a real bummer that this class didn't yeah. have any converted linebackers. <laughs> yeah, um, all right, bad. couple couple quick fire ones. Davis, uh, sorry, uh, Malik Willis, droppable, oh, droppable in superplex. Dead. He's dead. <laughs> yeah, better than I think you probably move on. Can he convert to linebacker? Maybe. Um, Thoughts on Deshaun Watson bouncing back? Elijah Moore is the only Deshaun Watson bet I'm making. Um, here's one about kind of philosophy. When it comes to end of first contracts slash start of second contract running backs, guys who are 26 through 28-ish, yeah. what do you do with them? Are you selling for minimal value? Are you holding to ride out the valuable years left and take the sunk cost? Would you prefer to sell them before this point to avoid these situations? absolutely 100% yes to the last one, but thoughts yeah. on the first part? Depends on the running back. Like, it, it just depends on what you're going to get out of them. Like, Miles My- Sanders, to me, is like an egregiously overpriced player in Dynasty right now in the sense that I, I just think Miles Sanders is, like, he's a placeholder. He's the guy that you put at RB2 and you feel good about your team because it projects to have 13 points at RB2 in week one. And by week seven, Joe Mixon's going to be – has a sprained MCL – and you're extraordinarily excited to put Chase Brown over Miles Sanders in your RB2 chair, and you could care less if Miles Sanders exists. Like, I, so that's that's the kind of guy where I just want to paying for certainty you don't out of them. Yeah, and, and it's not certainty, right? Like that's the thing you're paying for perceived certainty for a right. guy who could it's lose perceived. his job to Chuba Hubbard in Week 11. Um, if it's at the other end of the spectrum, like I don't know, like if it's like Aaron Jones who's still really good at football and is priced at all times as though like the Grim Reaper is the first thing he sees in the morning. Like, sure. I'll take a flyer on Aaron Jones and ride out that production. Cause I think he has access to a higher level of, of usability than like a Miles Sanders does for as long as he's still good. So depends on the guy. Uh, all right. Any thoughts on how to deal with a league that starts nine from a league that starts 11 or 12. So basically deeper leagues versus shallow leagues, obviously studs more important. Um, yeah, just ship like and and veterans. I think are more important too. Like a, you're less likely to yeah. start Jordan Addison or whatever. So like if people are valuing first like normal, trade trade your first more often than you would in a start eleven. Yeah, if you if you right. roster right. Jerry Judy in a start nine, you actually are sent to federal prison. Um, <laughs> if you just there's just no excuse for it. Like you should just be you should always be. I think I might have. Does not. I think I might have an NFFPC <laughs> league. <laughs> The, the Florida doesn't matter that much. Like you should absolutely be valuing guys like the Steph Diggs and the Tyree kills. The Christian McCaffrey is way higher than you do in a start 11. You need to be valuing quarterback and tight end just way more in a start nine than you do in a start 11. Like you should be yeah. selling the farm to have two elite quarterbacks and an elite tight end and just figuring it out after that. Wide receiver depth in particular, much more important in start 11 depth in particular. And yeah, floor it's the floor that you can deal with in a start nine is much, much higher. Um, low, you know, taking on more risk, you can take on much more risk. Um, all right. Two more questions here. Thanks. Thanks for uh, sticking around as long as we have a uh, bit of a, bit of a marathon pod, but all right. So this is kind of an overall strategy question. Um, how do you approach a team that on paper can't hang with the top two or three teams, but it's toward the top. I've always had the mindset of going all out or trying to finish bottom four. Are you shipping picks to go for it 
or staying put and hoping the top teams begin declining you just, with DJ. You got to you got to just vibe and hope injuries and suspensions and crazy NFL shit goes there like shit like trying to go all in and and you know scourging the 10th and 11th and 12th place teams rosters. Nah, you got to just you got to just vibe and hope to run good. Yeah, if uh, if you if you want my fully developed answer to this question, you could go to jacobsanderson.substack.com and read Market Principles of Dynasty, Don't Let Perfect Be the Enemy of the Good, which is entirely about this exact question. So you're just vibing? Um, and, you, you agree with me? Like, just vibe? <laughs> yeah, you're, you, you want to you have a chip in a chair. Like, you, you want to give yourself a position to have a reasonable probability of winning for as many years as possible. You yeah. I want to go all in and reduce and you also don't want to be punting years if you don't have to. Like, um, you want to just be giving yourselves a bunch of shots to win, and and that's the way it goes. And you can always reevaluate in season. I won a dynasty league last year with Antonio Gibson. I think is my number one uh, running back. And this was a one quarterback, um, pretty shallow. I think twenty one roster spots, and I think it includes. I think it's twenty one with kicker and defense, um, or it's twenty two with kicker and defense. Um, so, you know, I didn't go all in clearly because I didn't, I didn't ever find a running back. I mean, was, right. they're just like using dudes off the waivers, but my wide receivers are so loaded and I'm good at tight end and I'm good at quarterback. That it didn't matter. I'm going to share a little bit of data from this article. So on average, teams with a buy, um, you're seeing 32% of one seeds win dynasty leagues. 26% of two seeds win dynasty leagues. And then it ranges from 14 at three seeds down to eight at six. So if you apply that out in terms of implied odds that you normally see, the higher seeded playoff team is only winning 57% of playoff games. And so that means that either dominant rosters that are getting buys are still losing playoff games at a roughly two and five chance, or the most dominant rosters aren't always the one getting buys. And it's probably a mix of both. And so if you look at, what your win equity is each year, any sort of strategy that embraces punting win equity, either now to be better later or later to be better now, you're going to have to make that up at some point. And it's hard to make it up because people think about building these super teams where they're unbeatable. You're not unbeatable. Like the maximum chance to win a dynasty league that you have week one of any year is not as high as you think it is. It's probably closer to 20 to 25%. And you don't want to go all out for that and put yourself at zeros in future years. All right. That was an awesome answer. Uh, for everyone, so this this last question from Drico out here. For everyone, who is the rookie who is currently priced at the lowest that they will ever be? Jacob, go ahead. Um, I'll pick one in particular, but I think it applies to the entire position. Um, I'll pick Tucker Craft, but really by this I mean the tight end class. Like the tight end situation, we have all these tight ends that people are really interested in this year. And the barrier to entry on all of them is so low compared to what they actually have to do to retain this value or go up in value. There's very few things more impactful in Dynasty than an extraordinarily elite tight end. And there are a few safer bets in terms of continuing value than just okay tight ends. Um, Kraft is a guy who was borderline free. You had a good profile. who got day two capital walking into a wide open depth chart. That's probably the guy that I want to take on like 50% of my dynasty teams. But I could also make the exact same answer with like Sam Laporta um, or really 
honestly, even Tiger Craft's teammate, Luke Musgrave, who I don't like as much, but I like Kraft a lot. I have him. I like I like that answer. I was gonna go uh Luke Schoonmacher, who I don't think any of us really like. <laughs> but if he comes in, like I like I'll I'll make my answer Jake Ferguson or Luke Schoonmacher, because one of them probably shot out of this. You know, <laughs> What a tight, what a tight end group. We got Schoonmacher, we got Peyton Hendershot, Jake. For like, what a what a band of names we got in the Dallas Cowboys tight end room. It's it's one of them though, because one of them is about to walk into yeah. like sixty catches, five hundred eighty yards, and four touchdowns, which sounds like nothing, but is like the tight end nine, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll go. I'll go Bryce Young. Ooh, um, because. As we sit like here, that. right, you got Bijan, you got Anthony Richardson, you know, Jameer Gibbs, JSN's probably not going ahead anymore, but like Stroud maybe could. So have you been in any drafts, Jacob, where you were sitting at 105 and, and Young was there or you saw him go 105? I have not. I have not seen him go at the 105. I've seen him go okay. 103 or 104 and I think all my okay. drafts so far. I've not yet had the privilege of drafting Bryce Young, but I um, – or at least not post draft, but yeah, I think at the 104, he he would be a phenomenal pick. And even at yeah, even at the 104 to get the number one overall pick in the NFL draft at quarterback in a, a format where quarterbacks are so hard to get, especially guys with job security. And I know Bryce Young's got the size issues, but I think from a fantasy perspective, he has a ceiling, and I think with that right. coaching staff, he could eventually turn into a high volume passer given his playmaking ability yeah. and you know it's not he didn't land like stroud in a shanahan style system that's probably going to limit pass attempts for a long time unless he's an absolute mm -hmm. superstar so i think you have a chance for him to develop into you know not i mean he's not gonna be burrow but like people are getting super excited about lawrence and i don't know that that archetype is is all that far off from what we might see yeah. from bryce young kind of that style of you know pass first rush um value from the player but more of the creative playmaking um you know improv improvisational skills as a passer i just I, I know you don't like this guy is a 204 and a non-super flex felt felt feels like that's just easy money yeah i like that that's yeah i like that a lot i know you don't like this guy as much i don't either but like the, I've seen CJ Stroud a lot at the 106, and that that feels like picking up a dime on the street, to be honest. Like I, I don't, I don't think that he's the most exciting thing in the world, but at the at the 106, like that just becomes, um, it's just it's a really easy click, and and it's it's not that often that you get the opportunity to have uh, even a guy like that right at 106. So I think him and you know, honestly, that's a better answer than what I just gave because uh, it's another two picks down and. Um, he's going to be their starter for like right. three, four years. And like, basically even, even kind of, I'm more on the bearish side with Stroud, but it's not because I think he's going to bust. I think it's just because I don't think he's going to do yeah. all that much as a passer in that system to, for fantasy purposes. And I don't think he'll run a lot, um, even though he probably could if he wanted to. So yeah, yeah I, I love that Stroud one. that I was annoyed by. Like I had one league where I had, Deshaun Watson, I had Russell Wilson. I was hoping to add one quarterback. I had the one, two, and the one, six. I take Richardson at the one, two, and there's a guy at one, five whose only quarterbacks, it's a super flex, are 
Baker Mayfield and Jameis Winston. And I'm like, well, he's obviously going to take CJ Stroud and then I'll get JSN and we'll be rolling. And then he took JSN and I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> you're starting you're starting Baker Mayfield at QB1. And I was like really upset. And then I thought about it. And I was like, well, honestly, like it's probably the better pick anyway. So I'll just take CJ Stroud and I'll be able to trade him at some point. But it's it's happening. People just don't want to take CJ Stroud. He, he yeah, all right. People, that, guess, that's pretty interesting. People. The number two overall pick in the draft, um, which apparently is a cursed pick. That's the that's the Twitter. That is a bad pick. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get out of here, guys. Thanks again. This has been an awesome episode. Um, Davis, tell the people what you got going on. Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast, Tegcast, Soulcast, all the all the good stuff. Come watch Sports Grid on there every day, grinding. We're we're doing we're doing the things. And we're uh, all of us are in the newsletter game. You got automatic absolutes. Sign up for that. We love a good newsletter here in these parts. <laughs> we sure do. <laughs> All right, Jacob, tell the people what you got going on. Yeah, you can find my uh, newsletter, Thinking About Thinking. Uh, Jacob Sanderson, Jacob with a K, of course, uh, sanderson.substack.com. You can find my rookie drafts on there. Next thing you'll find from me, or, um, or rookie ranks, I should say, is my rookie draft walkthrough. And that's where I'm going to go through each portion of the draft where I'm trying to target my high exposures, medium exposures, zeros, what types of trades I've been making, where I'm trying to navigate the draft boards. Uh, I'm excited about that one. And then uh, I'll have updated ranks. They'll be both in my vacuum in terms of how I'm valuing the players and also my actionable ranks, which is where I've built in ADP that I've been able to mine over the last week. So excited for that as well next weekend. Awesome. That sounds incredible. Can't wait for that. Uh, everyone go sign up for Legendary Upside. Go to legendaryupside.com slash early. You can get 30%, not 30%, $30. That's better than percent. $30 off your first year. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll be running that through July 18th, which is uh, and it's an important day on the calendar. So go ahead and sign up. I'm about to drop my best ball rankings, uh, kind of tinkering with them. I plan to get them up like later tonight. Probably I'll probably send out the post like early tomorrow morning. So look for those. Got my Superflex Dynasty rankings up right now. Thanks so much for watching, and uh, we'll see you guys next time.